1956, Royal Dutch Shell discovered oil in the Niger River Delta, a complex wetland ecosystem that covers approximately 14,000 square miles of southern Nigeria. They began drilling two years later in an area called Ogoniland, ancestral home of an indigenous ethnic minority called the Ogoni. After almost half a century of environmental destruction, thousands of oil spills, undrinkable water, the decimation of vital habitats, and illness from pollution, the Ogoni people rallied behind an organization called MOSOP, or the Movement for the Survival of the Ogoni People, led by an author-turned-activist named Ken Sarowiwa. They demanded that Shell clean up the environment they had destroyed and cede control of the oil to the Ogoni people whose land contained it. In response, the military dictatorship of Nigeria faked charges that gave them pretense to arrest Serowiwa and eight other leaders of Mosop, putting them in front of a special military tribunal replete with paid witnesses, which sentenced them to death. On November 10, 1995, the Ogoni Nine were executed by hanging. Today, I want to talk about the history of Mosop, Shell's exploitation of the Niger River Delta, Kensero Wiwa, and the execution of the Ogoni Nine. Thanks for tuning in this week. You're listening to Hidden History. I'm Ellis Tucci, and this is episode 123, the Ogoni Nine. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you liked this episode, then consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. One quick item of housekeeping. After this episode, I'm going to be taking a little winter break until the new year. The next episode of Hidden History will be coming out on January 22nd, 2022. With that, let's get into the show. Let's start back in 1956, four years before Nigerian independence from British rule on October 1st, 1960. Royal Dutch Shell found oil near Oloibiri, a village in the delta approximately 30 miles west of the regional capital of Port Harcourt. Thus, it was known as the Oloibiri oil field. This was the first time a commercially viable oil deposit had been found in Nigeria, and was the culmination of decades of searching by Royal Dutch Shell, who first began Nigerian operations in 1936. The year following the discovery at Oloibiri, Shell entered into a joint venture with the Nigerian colonial government, which held a majority stake, while Shell owned 30%. Over the course of its 20-year productive lifespan, the Oloibiri field would produce some 20 million barrels of oil, yet it soon became just one of the many oil fields throughout the delta, as Shell found further deposits among the mangroves of Agoniland, an approximately 400-square-mile area home to 500,000 Agoni people. Eventually, seven Shell oil fields would dominate Agoniland. Bomu, Bodo West, Tai, Korokoro, Yorula, Labara Creek, and Afam. As soon as large-scale oil extraction began in 1958, the environmental impact on the Niger River Delta became clear. Over the next several decades, Shell would document 2,976 oil spills in Agoniland, equivalent to over 2 million barrels of oil, and almost certainly a vast underestimation on Shell's part. 
By 1975, oil production in the region would account for three-quarters of Nigeria's total export revenue, a trend which has continued into the present day. As a result, the ancestral home of the Ogoni people would become one of the most polluted places on Earth. A 2011 study by the UN declared the area ground zero of an environmental disaster. To give you a sense of the scale to which Shell poisoned the Delta and its people, drinking water throughout Agoniland was found to contain benzene, the cancer-causing chemical that gives gasoline its sweet smell, at levels 900 times greater than what's considered safe. In the face of this continued environmental destruction and brutal repression by the notoriously violent Nigerian military, the Ogoni people began to organize for their lives. Though there had been smaller protests over the past decades, all ignored by Shell and repressed by the government, the campaign for Ogoni human rights crystallized in 1990. In August of that year, Mosop was founded, and in October, a number of Ogoni chiefs and community members, as well as Ken Sarawiwa and the other founders of Mosop, signed the Ogoni Bill of Rights. The document outlined the situation of the Ogoni and their demands, and appealed to the international community for help and recognition. The entire document is linked in the episode notes, but I'll read some excerpts here. Here's a passage that outlines the environmental impact that oil extraction has wrought on the environment from the statement of Dr. G. B. Lenton, president of Mosop. Ogoni has suffered and continues to suffer the degrading effects of oil exploration and exploitation. Lands, streams, and creeks are totally and continually polluted. The atmosphere is forever charged with hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide. Many villages experience the infernal quaking of the wrath of gas flares which have been burning 24 hours a day for 33 years. Acid rain, oil spillages, and blowouts are common. The result of such unchecked environmental pollution and degradation are that one, the Ogoni can no longer farm successfully. Once the food basket of the eastern Niger Delta, the Ogoni now buy food when they can afford it. 2. Fish, once a common source of protein, is now rare. Owing to the constant and continual pollution of our streams and creeks, fish can only be caught in deeper and offshore waters for which the Ogoni are not equipped. 3. All wildlife is dead. 4. The ecology is changing fast. The mangrove tree, the aerial roots of which normally provide a natural and welcome habitat for many a seafood, crabs, periwinkles, mudskippers, cockles, mussels, shrimps, and all, is now being gradually replaced by unknown and otherwise useless plants. 5. The health hazards generated by an atmosphere charged with hydrocarbon vapor, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide are innumerable. The once beautiful Ogoni countryside is no more a source of fresh air and green vegetation. All one sees and feels around is death. Death is everywhere in Ogoni. Ogoni languages are dying. Ogoni culture is dying. Ogoni people, Ogoni animals, Ogoni fishes are dying because of 33 years of hazardous environmental pollution and resulting food scarcity. 
In spite of an alarming density of population, American and British oil companies greedily encroach on more and more Ogoni land, depriving the peasants of their only means of livelihood. Mining rents and royalties for Ogoni oil are seized by the federal government of Nigeria, which offers the Ogoni people nothing in return. Ogoni is being killed so that Nigeria can live. The document in total called for, quote, political control of Ogoni affairs by Ogoni people, control and use of Ogoni economic resources for Ogoni development, adequate and direct representation as a right for Ogoni people in all Nigerian national institutions, and the right to protect the Ogoni environment and ecology from further degradation. The government of Ibrahim Babangida ignored the document and continued its violent oppression of the Ogoni people, giving Shell essentially direct control of the infamous Nigerian Mobile Police Force, the paramilitary arm of the federal government known to the people as Kill and Go. The members of Mosop continued their organizing efforts in the face of incredible brutality, and eventually gained international recognition, in no small part due to the efforts of Ken Sarawiwa, who traveled the world to advocate for the Ogoni people. Over the course of his comings and goings, he would often be imprisoned by the Nigerian government or have his passport seized. On January 4th, 1993, due to the tireless organizing efforts of Mosop, approximately 300,000 Ogoni people out of half a million total showed up for Ogoni Day, a massive peaceful protest meant to disrupt oil production. In response, Shell evacuated all its employees and oil production dropped to practically nothing overnight. Behind the scenes, though, Shell was pressuring the Nigerian government to do something about what they called the Ogoni problem. In response to the protest, the government outlawed public assembly and declared that any disruption of oil infrastructure would be considered treason. That November, dictator Sani Abacha would rise to power in a coup and establish a government that would become known for its corruption and human rights violations. At Shell's behest, the military descended and occupied Ogoni land, and the protest continued throughout 1993 in the face of incredible and indiscriminate violence. The Ogoni cause had by now gained international recognition, and Shell was concerned that there could develop an organized international opposition to its destruction of the Delta. As a result, they increased their pressure on the Nigerian government, going so far as to pay for the salaries and weapons of the mobile police, as well as more standard corruption, like chauffeuring military leaders around in shell vehicles. Upon seeing the rapid militarization of Ogoniland and the increased persecution of Ogoni leaders, Ken Sarawiwa wrote, This is it. They are going to arrest us all and execute us. All for Shell. Unfortunately, his prediction was correct, and in May of 1994, four pro-government Ogoni chiefs were murdered, their deaths used as pretext to arrest Sarawiwa and eight other Mosop leaders, Saturday Dobi, Nordu Iewo, Daniel Kabuku, Paul Levera, Felix Nuate, Barry Borbera, Barinem Kiobel, and John Kapuin. Never mind the fact that Mosop was committed to nonviolence. Uh, in fact, here's a clip of Sarawiwa saying exactly that. In recovering the money 
that has been stolen from us, I do not want any blood spilt, not of an Ogoni man, not of any strangers amongst us. We are going to demand our rights peacefully, non-violently, and we shall win. Never mind the fact that Sarawiwa had been prevented from entering Agoniland on the day of the murders, or that soldiers had descended on the area that morning and had been seen in the vicinity of the murders that afternoon, the Agoni Nine were arrested on suspicion of inciting the murders, and the Nigerian military used the pretext of searching for the killers as an excuse to conduct a vast campaign of terrorism against the Agoni people, which destroyed approximately 30 villages, killed 2,000 people, and turned 100,000 into refugees. While this campaign was taking place, Sarawiwa and his allies were being subjected to torture and inhumane treatment in prison. They would be kept there for more than a year before being brought before a specially convened military tribunal in May 1995. When Sarawiwa's lawyers were forbidden from presenting evidence showing that the prosecution's witnesses had been bribed, they resigned in protest, leaving him without a defense team. Even so, they probably would not have done any good. The Nigerian government gave assurances to Shell that the Ogoni Nine would be found guilty. It was later revealed that the witnesses had indeed been bribed in cash and with jobs in the government and at Shell. One witness admitted to being bribed a considerable amount of cash for his testimony in the presence of a Shell lawyer. The company got exactly what they wanted, and in a stunning display, Justice Ibrahim Ayuta sentenced each of the Agoni Nine to death by hanging. They maintained their innocence, and the sentences generated an international uproar, which was ultimately too little too late. The Nigerian government moved as quickly as possible to confirm and carry out the executions. On November 8, 1995, the Nigerian military court upheld the sentence, and only two days later, nine innocent men were led to the gallows and murdered. Due to poorly maintained and malfunctioning equipment, it took five attempts to hang Sarawiwa. His last words were reportedly, Lord, take my soul. But the struggle continues. In response, Nigeria was kicked out of the Commonwealth of Nations for three years and was placed under a European arms embargo while many countries recalled their ambassador. British Prime Minister John Major called the executions judicial murder. After they were killed, the corpses of the Ogoni Nine were brought to a local cemetery and covered in acid so as to remove any trace of their identity. In 1996, the Wiwa family brought suit against Shell in New York for its extensive human rights violations in Nigeria. With a court date set for the summer of 2009, mere days before the trial was expected to begin and therefore make publicly available the facts of the case, Shell settled out of court for a $15.5 million payment to the families of the victims. It was careful to insist that this was simply a humanitarian gesture, and most certainly not an admission of guilt. In 2019, a Dutch court ruled that the case of Esther Kiobel, widow of Ogoni Nine member Barinam Kiobel, could proceed. It seems that their day in court will come yet. Contrary to the wishes of Shell and the Nigerian government, the execution of the Ogoni Nine did not destroy Mosop. It still exists today 
committed to the ideals of self-determination, human rights, and nonviolence. Though many will admit that progress in the intervening 26 years has been less than ideal. The cleanup of the Niger River Delta was estimated by the UN to take at least 30 years and cost $1 billion for the first five years alone. Nigeria's national policy on pollution is that the offending party is responsible for its cleanup. Unsurprisingly, Shell has offered lots of lip service, including a page on its website ominously titled The Ogoni Issue, which conveniently makes no mention of their apocalyptic environmental destruction or any commitment to fixing it, while also managing to suggest that there was nothing fishy about the Ogoni 9's trial. Shell has repeatedly spoken publicly about how they want to be part of the solution, but so far, nothing has materialized. The environment of Ogoniland is still utterly destroyed, with the only development being lots of glossy photographs of committees meeting to discuss cleanup plans, and ribbon-cutting ceremonies marking the beginning of the recovery. And even that was years ago at this point. Now recovery means that wells that have been poisoned for decades get brand new signs telling people not to drink from them. The vegetation of the Niger River Delta is still destroyed. It's wildlife dead. Thick, sticky black crude oil bubbles up from the ground around abandoned wells and pipelines, turning vast swaths of once pristine land into poisonous fields of oily black mud. The surface of the Niger River shines in a sickly rainbow, blossoming out into huge clouds of deadly hydrocarbon upon reaching the ocean. One of the clearest examples of how little Shell is committed to cleaning up its disaster is the fact that it still continues these incredibly destructive and exploitative practices in the surrounding areas. In both 2008 and 2009, a Shell pipeline in Bodo, another village in the Delta, burst twice, releasing over 600,000 barrels of oil into the surrounding fishing village and their waters, absolutely destroying the environment overnight. Shell initially offered to pay the villagers $4,000 total in damages. Eventually, through a series of lengthy legal battles, the people of Bodo were awarded $88 million, but even with the settlement, the villagers are condemned to a life of extreme poverty, as Shell has still yet to even start any cleanup effort. It seems that Shell has once again escaped judgment, but that cannot continue forever. In the words of Ken Sarawiwa, I predict that the denouement of the riddle of the Niger Delta will soon come. The agenda is being set at this trial. Whether the peaceful ways I have favored will prevail depends on what the oppressor decides, what signals it sends out to the waiting public. In my innocence of the false charges I face here, in my utter conviction, I call upon the Ogoni people, the peoples of the Niger Delta, and the oppressed ethnic minorities of Nigeria to stand up now and fight fearlessly and peacefully for their rights. History is on their side. God is on their side. For the Holy Quran says in Surah 42, verse 41, All those that fight when oppressed incur no guilt, but Allah shall punish the oppressor. Come the day. Thanks for listening this week. 
If you liked this episode, consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. Until next time, this is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.